Hello, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. My name is Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. And my goal with this podcast is to empower you with nutrition and exercise knowledge from various health and wellness experts and everyday runners to become the best, strongest, fastest, fit cookie version of yourself that you can be. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have Jackson Long, who has a pretty sweet background, including having a bachelor's in integrative physiology, a master's in applied nutrition. He's also a Nordic ski coach, a cycling coach, an avid endurance athlete himself, and he is the podcast host of his own podcast, which is called In the Flow Podcast. He is also in charge of running his own consulting company for coaching, which is called In the Flow Nutrition. So make sure you check him out. But on today's episode, Jackson joins me to talk about the topic of Red S, which stands which stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And we also talk a lot about low energy availability in sport. Jackson is a vegan, um, and he also specializes in coaching athletes on plant-based eating, and he's super passionate about this and talks a lot about this in the show today as well. He also has a TED Talk called Make Pooping Great Again. That's all about plant-based nutrition and the benefits of it for health, and I mean, what a title. It's fantastic. You should definitely go check that out. But until further ado, I want to get started with today's episode. But before we do, um, just a little disclaimer, of course, you know, Jackson has a pretty awesome background in nutrition and exercise physiology, but he is not working with you one-on-one. And same here, I'm a registered dietitian, but I'm not necessarily your registered dietitian. So the topics we talk about today are meant to just you know, be for educational purposes only. If you do have any health issues that you have questions about after the conversation today, please bring them up with your doctor or your healthcare provider for more individualized advice, as this episode does not replace individualized advice. Until further ado, let me introduce you guys to Jackson Long. Hi, Jackson, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. It's so good to have you on here today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm psyched, like I said, to uh, nerd out on some topics that I care a lot about, as I'm sure you do too. But always fun to, yeah, talk to to like minded people. Amazing. Yeah, I I'll confess right away. Um, my intern, um, her name is Gabby. I'm going to give her a shout out right now. She introduced me to your podcast um, a few months ago. And then she was like, you should really do a podcast with him. And I don't know where you've been all my life, but your podcast is fantastic. So, um, I'm really happy she introduced us. Can you please like just introduce yourself and what you do and where you live to everyone listening? Yeah, totally. So I grew up in a little ski town in Idaho, um, and then, and was racing bikes at a high level, cross country ski racing, all of the fun mountain sports, and then moved to Colorado to Boulder, which is kind of a, you know, endurance sport heaven mecca and went to CU Boulder, did my undergrad in uh, uh, integrative physiology. And kind of during that time while racing at, you know, the professional level and and road cycling and racing for CU uh, as a road cyclist, got 
sort of sucked into, you know, a negative place with my nutrition as a lot of young endurance athletes do. And that sort of inspired me to want to learn more about nutrition. Cause at the time I was, you know, learning and obviously studying physiology and connecting all these dots and learning about myself as an athlete. So that, you know, long story short, led me to do a master's in nutrition, then later a post-grad in performance nutrition, sports nutrition kind of concentration, uh, and then did basically a little bit of an unconventional path in the, in the nutrition world, did uh, an accreditation through the, uh, the British Dietetic Association through my post-grad, the Sport and Exercise Nutrition Registry. And then now I you know, fast forward to 2019, moved back to Sun Valley, Idaho, where I'm from, to coach uh, full time for a junior cross country ski team and mountain bike team um, here and and in Sun Valley, and kind of you know spice it up with some nutrition work as well, and then do some private consulting on the side. Have my own little nutrition consulting business and podcast called In the Flow where I talk about all sorts of fun topics, nutrition, endurance, sports, sports science, mountain athletics, uh, a little bit of philosophy, things like that. So yeah, doing a ton of cool stuff and just living the dream in, in the, in the mountains of Idaho and trying to help really that next generation of, of athletes and, and finding that it's a pretty big challenge, but also a really rewarding challenge to be able to mentor, you know, high school age young endurance athletes that are, are, are trying to find their way as well. Yeah, that's really fantastic. My, my husband and I visited, um, Boulder for the first time, Mm. um, this past summer. And like, that was the first time I'd ever seen the Rockies. So when you say like outdoorsy type things, I'm just like, Oh, I can't wait to go back. Um, it was so amazing, but it sounds like too, um, just from kind of listening to your podcast and, you know, reading a ton about you, you're also very much focused in like plant-based nutrition. Is that correct? Yeah. So kind of during that tumultuous time of my life, uh, with regards to food and eating and, you know, uh, training and racing and education and all that, I sort of decided to totally overhaul everything I was doing and sort of take my nutrition seriously. And in probably some way, you know, a way that a lot of people would say probably wasn't the best idea, but kind of got sucked into the plant-based world and, and sort of just went for it overnight. And, you know, being a, a science nerd, being someone who was studying physiology and nutrition, I was like, okay, well, this is something that I really care about, you know, from the nutrition perspective, but mostly actually from the kind of environmental and ethical side, I was like, well, if I want to do this and I want to be a high level endurance athlete, um, I want to do it right. I want to learn about it. I want to, you know, apply the evidence base to, to the plant-based world and then sort of be a resource in that regard, because as I'm sure, you know, and you've talked about on your podcast, uh, so much misinformation, so much sort of dogma and like crazy craziness around, you know, veganism, vegetarianism, you know, plant-based myths and misconceptions. And I just felt like there really wasn't a lot of voices of reason in the endurance world for doing it correctly. And I just felt almost like a responsibility to do it right. And, and be, uh, you know, helping other athletes that are interested in that do it in a way that uh, is sustainable and effective and, you know, nourishing and fueling and all that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say that's kind of like, you know, I've been 
vegan now for over seven years and it's sort of like I guess you could say sort of my niche it's like I work with a lot of you know plant-based athletes but I'm not I try not to be dogmatic about it I uh you know I'm very open about you know how it's not the only way to go and it's not you know necessarily the healthiest way or and, and all those things but it is really important to me from an ethical and environmental perspective and I you know meet athletes all the time that are you know feel the same and want to do it right and so I figure why not you know help people kind of you know down that path as well I really love that perspective and I'm going to hop on my soapbox here for a minute because I feel like in the nutrition world if it has like a title like if a way of eating has a title on it like diet culture the media can just kind of rip it apart and then that's where all the misinformation comes in right so if you talk about being a vegan which people can't see my air quotes but you know, if you talk about being a vegan or a vegetarian or an intuitive eater or keto or paleo, like if it has a title, like people just take it and run with it. And then there's just all kinds of misinformation. So I appreciate you saying like, no, there's like, you know, I I have a title on the way that I eat, but it's not necessarily out of a sole purpose for, you know, diet culture-esque motivations. And, you know, I feel responsible to really, you know, teach people about it in a way that's productive because there are a lot of benefits to, you know, adopting more of a plant-based diet. Um, So, okay, I'm going to hop like back off my soapbox. (laughs) But um, another thing that I like that you said is that, um, you know, from that perspective, you know, if it does have a title on it, in a terms of way of eating, there can be like restrictive nature or just more specificity on the way that you're eating. And our topic that we're going to talk a lot about today is low energy availability and relative energy deficiency in sports, which we can abbreviate as REDS or Red S. Um, So essentially, you know, can you talk a little bit about when you first started to, you know, kind of adopt more of a plant-based way of eating, you said a lot of it does come from like an ethical standpoint, Um, you know, and I think you also said there was a little bit of, um, poor relationship with food in there as well. Can you just talk a little bit about your personal journey with that? If you, um, you know, don't mind, and then we can kind of get into those terminologies as a whole. Yeah, totally. And I I won't, you know, bore the the audience and yourself with, you know, my sort of long, you know, history with eating and and sport. Basically, uh, you know, I, I was, I think, a sophomore in, in college at CU, and I was racing for this really high-level team. I was like the youngest guy on the team, big opportunity, and this was sort of like a big make-or-break year to, you know, kind of take it to that next level and race professionally and go race in Europe and all these, you know, big dreams that I had. And so I took a semester off of school to tr- basically train and race full-time. I went and moved down to Arizona for the winter And kind of during that time, got sucked into probably, you know, some of the early social media pressures, and as well as mainly just like, from the culture from, you know, teammates and friends and people that in, you know, in road cycling, you know, particularly on, you know, the male side, actually, there's this really disordered culture around food and eating, and basically trying to, you know, be as as lean and skinny as possible for lack of better terms and it and it I definitely got sucked into that and basically just got to a really unhealthy place and was definitely in a in a pretty long-term place of of low energy availability and you mean I mean looking back on it now it's so obvious but in in the time I was like just so focused on training 30 hours a week and like 
trying to be super obsessive and restrictive with food. And it worked for a while. And I was like performing really well in you know, January, February, but then once the season rolled around in, you know, early March, uh, was DNFing every race, got walking pneumonia, was anemic, was, you know, getting sick all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually I actually got a, a pretty bad stress fracture in my pelvis. Um, when I sort of stepped away from cycling for a while, I, I, I tried to, I tried running and, um, hurt myself basically. And so that all kind of is the shortened version of, of what, and, and at that time I was not plant-based at all. I was like very like low carb sort of paleo eating lots of protein, afraid of carbs, that whole thing. And so, you know, kind of the reason why I went to the, you know, sort of went with the plant-based route is I just, I wanted to totally overhaul and change everything. And, and, you know, in, in the, the typical type a athlete mindset of like, just getting super like focused and like, Oh, I'm going to like do all this research. And, you know, obviously I was taking all the, I was taking nutrition classes and I was taking physiology and exercise physiology classes. And, um, and I think it was, you know, probably a Netflix documentary like forks over knives that I stumbled upon and was like, Oh, this like is something different. And they're talking about how carbs are actually great for athletes. And I was like, okay, maybe this is something that could work. And it, I mean, I think probably just as a, as a function of eating enough calories and energy to support my training, I immediately felt so much better. And I just became really interested in it and realizing like, wow, this is actually something that I need to take seriously and learn about and not just fall into the, the kind of trends of whatever is going on. And so, um, yeah. And I think that again, like from at the beginning, I definitely was sucked into some of the dogma and and kind of dietary tribe camp, whatever you want to call it, uh, culture of, of like veganism. And, and cause I was so excited about it. Right. I was like, Oh, this is like, why has nobody told me about this? Why is this like, you know, this makes so much sense. And, but then as I've, you know, gotten more education, as I've gotten more experience with it, I've realized that there's a way to do it and, and do it right without falling prey to some of that, you know, obsessive, you know, place in the, in the, in the dietary camp. So um, hopefully that wasn't too much of a ramble, but that's sort of the, the, the background of my relationship with food and um, and it's always changing. I'm not perfect. I still struggle with things like that. I don't, I don't think that I necessarily had like an eating disorder, but uh it's a, it's an ever evolving process for sure. Yeah. Thanks for filling that us in on that and telling us all of that. I think it's super relatable, especially the part where, you know, you get super passionate about something like maybe a Netflix documentary or information you learn. And you're just like, you know, you're already in the learning mindset being in school and you want to keep digging. Um, so I can definitely appreciate that. And I've been there myself, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think in terms of like, um, a good topic to get into with this, when, you know, first let's define like, um, low energy availability and reds or relative energy deficiency in sport. How, how would you define that? And like, what would be signs and symptoms to look for? I know you just talked a little bit about your own signs and symptoms. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also important to preface like all of this conversation too, which I'm sure, you know, I think you'll probably say in like the intro or something, but you know, I'm not a clinician and I don't pretend to be an expert on this topic. It's something that I care deeply about. I have some experience, of course, and it's something that I 
I think is uh, is a really important topic in today's world in sport between you know my background in nutrition and coaching and just like physiology and so I'm like a total nerd about it but I don't want to like pretend to give advice or you know because I'm not an RD I'm not a doctor I just you know I have some nutrition education and background but um I think it's just important to to kind of start with that but um yeah so I think you know obviously energy and calories are super important for athletes. It's, you know, we get it from food. It's what comes, you know, it's what gives us the fuel to, to, to perform, but energy availability is sort of this like buzzword that's come into the lexicon of, of sports nutrition in, in recent years. And, um, you know, especially with, with, uh, with reds relative energy deficiency in sport, it's, it's sort of like the thing right now. Um, and so, yeah, energy availability is, is essentially, at the most basic level, just the amount of energy that's left over after taking into account, you know, the amount of energy that you're getting from food, subtracting the energy that you've used for exercise throughout the day. And I think a lot of people think like, oh, I have to be in this perfect balance between how much energy or how many calories I'm eating and how many I'm, I'm expending. You know, you, you download my fitness pal and you're like, I'm trying to, I'm going to lose some weight. And so I'm going to try to have this you know, negative, uh, you know, number coming up on the screen. Um, and, and that's, it, that doesn't really give us the whole picture because again, in our physiology, in our, in our body as, as humans, let alone athletes, there's so many other things going on. We have to like regulate our blood pressure. We have to regulate our temperature. We have things that we're, you know, using energy for outside of exercise by just walking around and cooking and cleaning our house and things like that. And so, that's what energy availability is. And we actually need, you know, more than, than just that perfect balance. And so kind of technically speaking, and I think that, you know, I'm hesitant to, to get too much into the specific numbers, but like it's, it's around 30 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass per day um, is that sort of like under, underneath that and around that area is considered low energy availability, meaning, if you're below that sort of threshold, you're kind of starting to dip into that, you know, red zone of being, uh, you know, kind of tiptoeing close to, to reds, because it just means that your body is, you're basically forcing it to exercise, right. You know, train and race. And at a certain point it has to start to shut down and, and, you know, affect these other physiological systems. And so I think it's good to just think about it in like that big picture sort of perspective of like, you're basically just low energy available, low energy availability is basically just not having enough energy left over to do the normal, you know, things of life. Right. Yeah. And I think what's really important and something that you touched on just in your own journey a little bit is that, um, like this can happen intentionally or unintentionally. Um, you know, it can definitely be intentional. Like you're downloading my fitness pal. You're trying to stay below that number. I hear that daily. (laughs) Um, and I've been there myself and it can also happen, you know, unintentionally you're busy. Um, you know, you forget to eat or you just are trying really hard to focus on healthy foods, which happen to not be so nutrient dense or calorie dense rather sometimes. Um, or maybe the training itself is suppressing your appetite or you're stressed in some other way. So there's a lot of you know, other factors that can contribute to why this is happening. Um, can you touch a little bit on too, like, I think this is a really popular, um, you know, discrepancy in plant-based diets is that they are a little bit lower in calories when we traditionally think of like fruits, vegetables, 
um, you know, some of those more whole foods. And that can definitely be something that I know a lot of plant-based athletes have to think about. So how do you address that with yourself and like, what thoughts do you have on that topic? Yeah. I mean, that's the number one thing I see, or like the number one mistake that I see, you know, when working with plant-based athletes or people that are trying to, you know, kind of shift more towards eating more plant-based as they get, you know, they watch some documentary or they, you know, see some Instagram posts or whatever. And they think that plant-based has to mean these massive salads and, you know, these like beautiful, like, uh, you know, Instagram worthy meals that are delicious and healthy and great, but they just don't have the calorie density that you need to be able to fuel. And so, you know, if you're, if you're just suddenly, if you're eating normally, just a, you know, kind of standard, you know, diet, you're eating sort of whatever. And then you switch over to like the whole foods, plant-based diet and air quotes. Um, you just, you might suddenly drop the amount of energy that you're eating by 20%. And if you're trying to train really hard, you're trying to, you know, improve or increase that training volume and intensity, that is a one-way ticket to essentially low energy availability, you know, in the short term or in the long term. And so I think, you know, that is one thing that I really counsel a lot of clients on is like, okay, if you want to do this, you have to be aware that you're going to have to eat a lot more food than you think you need to. And it's going to be uncomfortable, especially if you have maybe that some of those, you know, behaviors or, or mindsets or habits that are like, Oh, I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be eating so much because I'm, you know, an endurance athlete or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to, you have to change your whole perspective because, you know, you're going to be really struggling if, if you go down that path. And, and of course, you know, the, 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 the outcome of that path of low energy availability is, is reds. Right. And so, I think, you know, having, having that education is really critical. And I'm really excited about just the conversation that's going on in sports nutrition right now around, around reds and low energy availability. And even at the you know biggest stage in the Olympics last week, like, you know, there's a lot of athletes talking about it. There's a lot of athletes that are pr being pretty open about their, you know, maybe poor relationship with food. And, and I think that it just has to continue because, you know, I just, I mean, I mean, I was probably very oblivious and naive, but back when I was 21, 22 and in, in sort of that, in that world, it's like, no one was talking about it. Everyone was talking about restricting and trying to eat less. And, um, and, and that I think as we will maybe talk about a little bit later when we get into reds, but like weight is just one tiny sliver of the performance pie, right? There's so many other factors, so many other variables that come in. And it just like blows my mind, even though I was that person, so many people, so many athletes hold so much weight, you know, pun intended on that metric as the determinant of performance and of success. And it's like, it just breaks my heart because it doesn't have to be that way and it shouldn't be that way. And it's, it's like, there's, I mean, of course, yeah, weight is important, but it's not the end all be all. Yeah. And I, I agree. I love the conversations that have been going on. And I think, um, I think what's great is that instead of people saying, oh yeah, I'm like restricting and it's cool. It's, oh, I have this medical condition <laughs> right? Um, because I think there's a lot of confusion on like, well, what's like normal and what should I be doing to help, help my performance? 
and then we normalize like the restrictive, you know, reds component essentially of that. And it's, you know, it's totally not okay. And it leads to a lot of, you know, things that are actually related to poor performance. So let's get into some of those things. Um, so like what symptoms or what outcomes um, are associated with reds and like, how could someone kind of start to think, Ooh, red flag, maybe that's something that I should think about. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I think reds, it's good to just sort of mention like reds is sort of like that clinical, you know, syndrome or, you know, outcome that stems from low energy availability. And so, you know, it doesn't necessarily always mean that you have reds because you have low energy availability. I think it's, um, you know, there's, there's a pathway there and that's where a clinician comes in a doctor that's where all these different factors come in it's not just like oh well like i'm suddenly tired because i've been training really hard it's like there's a lot of other factors that we need to take into consideration from blood work to bone density scans to you know your kind of mental status to your performance status and so i think you know definitely some big red flags uh for that, you know, especially for female athletes, but also for male athletes too, is, you know, loss of sexual function or, or sort of altered sexual function, particularly, you know, the menstrual cycle with females. That's probably like the biggest indicator uh, for either like significantly, you know, low energy availability or kind of, you know, chronic, uh, you know, issues around that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a big one. And I think that's where, also, the conversation is changing a lot. You know, I had uh, Kelly McNulty of the period of the period on my podcast a while ago. And like, she's like my, one of my favorite people on social media right now, because she just is killing the game in terms of like education around female athlete health and performance. And it's just like, it's becoming so much more normalized to talk about that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I would say like, that's a big one. I think any sudden change in performance or recovery or, you know, your immune health, immune system, if you're getting sick all the time, uh, you know, obviously outside of COVID, but like just general upper respiratory infections, um, things like that. Obviously, if you're getting stress fractures, or you have poor bone, bone mineral density, I think that's a big one. Um, and I, and so I like note, you know, notice that I'm not necessarily saying necessarily, huge changes in weight. I think obviously that's going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be important, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a significant change in your, in your body mass, because, um, there's usually some, as we'll maybe talk about some metabolic changes and adaptations that can occur as a result of this, that don't necessarily manifest as like physical outward appearance changes, but, um, it is something to, to kind of, look at, I think, but really it's about having multiple people, interdisciplinary practitioners involved in, um, kind of that diagnosis and, you know, through psychologists, coaches, dietitians, nutritionists, doctors, uh, you know, things like that, because it, it really is like a complex process, right? It's not like iron deficiency where you go in and your ferritin is, you know, three and they're like, okay, well, you, you probably have some sort of iron deficiency. Here's how we correct it. It's very black and white on the paper. Reds and low energy availability is, is really tough to measure, especially, you know, tracking how many calories you're taking in and expending each day. And um, so there's all these other systems that are involved that are, are going to be helpful in kind of like a, diagnosing that. And that's where, 
you know, a, a sports dietitian or a sports physician that are really sort of knowledgeable and experienced in this topic is are you know they're essential for you know managing and sort of treating and, and diagnosing this yeah and i think you had an important note like we're not talking about oh i just didn't eat enough yesterday and i'm kind of tired today we're talking about because you know, that happens to everyone but right. you know we're talking about you know maybe that's been happening for for days and weeks and months and now you're experiencing these symptoms uh, a way I, I talk in metaphors a lot but a way like i like to visually you know kind of look at this is, you know, if we're kind of like doing super well, we're eating enough to support our activity, we're functioning well, it's like we're on the battlefield, we're doing great, we're super strong. You know, once we're kind of in that low energy availability, like we're kind of getting closer to the trench, like <laughs> we're not doing so great, we're starting to like show some of those initial signs, um, but we can still bounce back and easily get back to the battlefield, you know, at this point, if we catch it. And then once we kind of are in reds, we're in the trench, <laughs> um, you know, and we can't really get out until we kind of see some interventions. Um, in terms of those interventions, you're so right. Like there's definitely no um, black and white, super direct way to do this because there's a lot of nuance and complexity as to why it happened in the first place. Um, I think one of the biggest kind of curveballs in there can be if someone is intentionally restrictive and it's, you know, a psychological um, shift that they're going to have to have, or if they have other psychological conditions that are associated with that, like eating disorders, um, you know, and other mental health issues as well. You know, that's definitely a lot of the times a root cause for a lot of people's reds. And then there's also, you know, maybe you just don't realize the importance of the nutrition or you just kind of let it slip away. Um, you know, and then you don't necessarily have to address the psychological component quite as much, but there are a lot of ways to approach it. Can you talk a little bit about like, what are kind of some of the biggest heavy hitters when it comes to approaching like treating reds and how to get someone out of the trench? Yeah. I mean, it's so individual, right? It's like you said, it's, it really is, uh, dependent on, you know, the, the background, the history, how much you're training, how much you're, you know, what level you are in the sport, how old you are, your sex, like all these different things that play a big role because, you know, that little bit of history on reds is, you know, the, the evolution from like when I was an undergrad in exercise physiology, we were learning and, and probably similar to you, we were learning all about the female athlete triad, right? It's like this kind of interrelationship triangle between, you know, kind of disordered eating, eating disorders, uh, you know, this low energy availability, uh, you know, bone density and menstrual function. And then since then reds or that has evolved into reds because they've realized, you know, researchers, you know, kind of obviously that this also affects males. And so it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just in females. Right. And so there's, you know, it, it, it can be, in my experience as a coach and as an a male athlete myself, I see it almost as, as, you know, often in males as I do in females, especially in, in sports like cycling and, and other endurance sports running. And so, you know, I think like addressing reds is, is something that is a really tricky thing to do. And it, um, it isn't just as simple as, you know, eat more, you know, just, Hey, you know, go eat an, a second breakfast, you know, after your workout, it's like, if you're in the territory where you're getting diagnosed with reds, basically by your doctor or a dietitian or whatever, then, you know, it's something that is 
more than likely going to require a combination of reducing training volume or into and or intensity and having really sort of disciplined, uh, you know, counseled, structured approach to your eating, right? Because something is, is off. It's not like, it's not like, oh, this just randomly happened, especially, you know, if it is, if it is intentional, but even if it's unintentional and you're at that point where you're getting maybe stress fractures or you've lost your period for months to years, like something is off in the system for a long enough period of time where you're right, you're in that trench and it's going to take a long time and a lot of effort and work to dig yourself back out of it. And so, you know, I'm not an expert in that. And I, I, I always defer and refer to, you know, very experienced. I, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, connections and friends in this world and that are, you know, doctors or, you know, sports RDs or whatever that I feel a lot more comfortable, you know, just referring to, because I think they, you know, have so much more tools that are, you know, available to them. But I think it does require the entire team behind an individual athlete to be involved. And so, you know, as a coach, as a parent, as a doctor, as a, you know, gynecologist within the female side, and, you know, this whole team of people have to be on the same page. Because if your RD is saying, or your doctor is saying, look, if you keep training like you're training, you're going to get another stress fracture, or you're going to be in a really bad place, you know, with your, with just your general health. But then your coach is turning around saying, Hey, let's, it's fine. You can just keep training. You got this big race coming up in a, you know, a month, let's keep going, just eat some more snacks before your practice or whatever. Like it's not, it's not helpful and, and practical and, and productive to have that. So yeah, I think I, I really believe in the, uh, interdisciplinary approach. And I really believe in having multiple sort of voices in the, you know, in, in the, the microphone, because it's, everyone has something to offer and, you know, and that's where choosing people to be in your village, you know, is really important that they're, they're qualified, they're experienced, they care about you, um, things like that. We've all heard the horror stories, you know, of coaches and even doctors and things that are, you know, malicious to be kind, um, you know, examples like Mary Kane and, you know, other, other, you know, notable examples. And so, um, if you're any sort of high level athlete or any athlete that cares about your health and performance, I think it really behooves you to kind of work on developing that team around you. Um, that's a little bit of a, I was sort of dancing around the, the answer and the question there, but, um, I hope that was, that makes sense. I wanted to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor for this podcast episode, Koros Wearables. Koros makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. Koros uses top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear they need. So when you use a Koros product, you know you're getting a tool that's been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete by the athlete. And they're not kidding. Koros watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts and training plans for running, cycling, swimming, and even a strength or core or like in the gym kind of workout. And their track feature is one of my favorite features from the Koros watch. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, hello, fueling on the run, Koros has you covered with their customizable nutrition alerts. 
How cool is that? You can literally have me poking you during your workout to remember to take your fuel, which is so cool. Koros users have set world records. I mean, have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge? And been to the highest points on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. And they can handle it. At Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. And for Koros, the user is the focus. So if you want to be part of the Koros community, you can follow at Koros Koros Global, which is C-O-R-O-S-G-L-O-B-A-L, Koros Global on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get back to our guest. No, it totally does. It totally does. And I think... um, like you said, I think what happens often, what I see at least, is that very confusing like cross of recommendations where coach says keep running, or maybe it's just athlete in their own head is like must keep running. Right. Um, you know, and then dietitian or doctor or whomever is kind of the first line of defense at recognizing this, you know, is saying, ooh, like there's something, you know, off and we need to make some changes. Um, and oftentimes what I see in practice is if the person is coming from a background of disordered eating or eating disorders or any poor relationship with food, you know, telling them to eat more and exercise less is exactly what they don't want to hear. (laughs) So they're often going to be more likely, you know, to maybe listen to the poor information, maybe coming from a malicious coach or someone who doesn't understand or just doesn't have their best intentions at heart. Maybe it's even just the person's disordered voice itself. Um, and that can be confusing. And that's something too, like in practice, you know, I'll, I'll see people kind of take the, Oh, okay. I'll just eat more snacks approach. Um, and there's so many reasons why, you know, again, I'm not going to say it can't work, but you know, oftentimes that's like the hardest approach to take, even though the person at the time thinks it's the easiest because it doesn't involve, you know, changing their activity levels. Um, because typically, you know, if, if we're at the point where we have reds, you know, we're probably in a place where our appetite's not super great, or it's not, you know, very consistent, or we don't have hunger cues anymore. So just kind of saying, oh, we'll just eat more, you know, that can be really difficult for a lot of people. I can imagine too, if you throw like plant-based athletics in there, that becomes even harder because you have to eat even more um, volume of food, which can be physically uncomfortable for people. A lot of the times, you know, if they haven't been eating enough, there's gut symptoms that go with that. So the physical act of eating more food is going to cause GI distress, which is confusing for the person and also hard for them to continue training through. Um, You know, and then if their training continues to increase because they're trying to peak for a race, like their food has to increase too. So it's just a really hard path to take. So sometimes, you know, with certain people, I'll take a coaching perspective and say, you know, I really don't agree with that, but we can try it your way and see how it goes. Um, and oftentimes it does end in sickness or stress fractures. Um, and then, you know, we have to do it the hard way, which is really the most direct way. Um, is that something you see often just like as a coach yourself working with the athlete and then also as like a nutritionist? Yeah. I mean, I totally, I think like, you know, unless, you know, if it's, if it's very clear that there is pretty significant disordered eating or like eating disorder level behavior, I just, I almost always just refer out, but I think that it doesn't hurt to, to put on that coaching hat, you know, alongside my nutrition background and say, okay, well, like, let's, 
let's at least try something because what you're doing right now, obviously, you know, isn't working probably. And if you're coming to me and saying, Hey, you know, I have just had such low energy these past few weeks. And I, you know, I just, I don't feel like I'm recovering that well. I think totally doable and totally okay to like, say, Hey, let's just get what you're doing and just see what's going on. Let's talk about, you know, through what you're eating, you know, and, and providing some education and recommendations for, you know, kind of helping at least, at least, you know, moving in a forward direction, because I see a lot of times, you know, coaches and athletes and, you know, like they just, they always assume it's something else, like they're not training hard enough, or they, you know, are like, oh, well, you know, my sleep hasn't been great. And of course, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of other factors. But I think we can all including myself, including yourself, we can all, you know, improve in some way with how we're eating, when we're eating, what we're eating, um, you know, timing, all of that. And so I find that, yeah, like, there's, I, I also try to take that perspective of like, giving some of that ownership to the athlete because all I mean pretty much all athletes you know at a certain level they're very type a they care a lot they're very passionate they're very like excited to you know train and work hard and they have goals they're very like boom 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 they're usually very good students in you know endurance athletes and like so that's just the 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 sort of you know phenotype of the athlete the endurance athlete and especially at the young age, you know, the, the athletes I work with primarily in a coaching capacity are, you know, 14 to 18 years old. So many times they are so new to all of this and they have so much to learn and they're eager to learn. Um, and so even just like telling them like, hey, you know, you need to eat something before practice in between school and when you get to the training center and they're like, what, really, what, you know, and like, so just doing that every day makes a massive difference. And so it's like finding, asking those questions, you know, finding ways to kind of like drop in there and then having them sort of come to you and, and, you know, giving them that, that sort of like ability is, is key. And, um, but then of course, you know, that only can go so far, like you said. And so it's, it's, a you know, it's important to, to, to not try, I think as coaches, we want to try to fix and help every single thing, every person all the time. And, sometimes it, you know, it it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. They have to be ready for sure. Um, and I think it too, like, let's get into a little bit, the metabolic changes that come with this. So I know we've been talking about, you know, reducing training load, increasing calorie intake. And like you just said, the phenotype of the endurance athlete is super type a wants things to be a certain way, maybe is used to looking a certain way or feels like they have to look a certain way in order to perform a certain way. Um, So in terms of like that paradox, like how do you respond to that? And like what metabolic changes, you know, can people kind of expect if they're, if they think they might be dealing with this? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of downstream effects of low energy availability and, you know, especially reds in terms of like, you know, I always say that it kind of starts with like the hormones, right? If once you're in that place for long enough, the body kind of starts to freak out and, and this is why you know, the, especially in female athletes, but also in in male athletes, it's a little bit more like nefarious and subtle is the, you know, sort of like the, you know, whatever the HPG, the hypo, you know, thalamic, you know, pituitary gonadal axis or whatever we learned, you know, it's like that gets down regulated 
And so then your estrogen production, your testosterone production, you know, gets shut down because basically what happens, right, is if you're not giving your body enough fuel, you're forcing it to train, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 mile, miles a week in your running or your training 20 hours a week. And you're just not giving, you're basically forcing your body to do this. Something's got to give, right? There has to be something that's going to get, you know, affected. And so, especially for female athletes, the, the menstrual cycle and literally growing another human inside of your body is a very energy intensive process. And so that's why that's one of the first things to go. And it just gets shut down. The body's like, look, you know, I can't help you anymore. Like I have to, I have to do something. And so it shuts that down because it's, it's saying I'm not fit to have a baby. I'm not fit to, you know, grow this thing in my body. And so, um, thing, you know, it's a child, not a thing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and so, and, and so I think like the hormones are, are sort of like this master regulator in a lot of ways, and that's going to affect, you know, temperature regulation, immune system function, you know, like, and then talking about, you know, performance wise, it's going to really affect your recovery, your ability to, you know, build muscle and, you know, have endurance adaptations, all these things that we're, we're really trying to do at the end of the day as athletes. Um, But yeah, and then, you know, metabolically speaking, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of research on this topic now and more being done all the time about how, you know, your resting metabolic rate, gets gets kind of down regulated and and reduced as a result of this long-term low energy availability and this is why it's like it's such a paradox and it's also really uh it's really like dangerous in the sense that as athletes and people that are you know intentionally or unintentionally trying to lose weight or you know restricting at a certain point your body basically turns on this adaptation to conserve as much you know fuel as possible and so at a, at a certain point you you kind of that weight loss starts to plateau right and so then your metabolic rate is super reduced you're trying to restrict you're restricting your you know you're, you're eating less and less but you're not necessarily changing and then that makes people even more likely to you know engage in these restrictive behaviors and then that can eventually manifest into a full-blown eating disorder or you know cause other problems because you know, this metabolic adaptation where you just, your, your, your metabolic rate is so, so shunted. So like, you know, depressed, it's really hard to, um, you know, you just can't continue down that path. And, and, and I think that's what makes it really scary is that it, you know, people, people get sucked into that really negative feedback loop and that vicious cycle of restricting, restricting, not losing weight, training more, training more, getting hurt, getting sick, then feeling like, oh, I'm, you know, not getting any faster. So I must have to train more. And then I'm not getting faster. So I'm going to eat less. And then it's like this endless thing where it then just, then something blows up, you get hurt, you know, you get really sick, you, your entire season's ruined. And that is not where we want to be. And it's totally counterproductive to the whole point of exercise, which I always like to kind of zoom out and say, like, you know, this is so counterproductive to, growing and you know performing as an athlete because what we're looking for is that training quality and that you know those adaptations and getting stronger and super compensating and if we're just running like i always say to you know kids i coach and just like another metaphor is like we're sports cars right we're lamborghinis or ferraris or whatever 
And those, you know, that kind of car isn't going to run very well if it's just running on empty. It's not going to go very fast. And so you need to have that fuel in order to make those gains, to get stronger, to get faster. And once you are in that cycle of low energy availability and restrictive mindset of like food is the enemy and like carbs are bad, you reach your ceiling so much earlier than you could if you were training really hard and feeling that. And that I think, you know, comes back to, uh, you know, understanding like that weight is not the single most important end all be all performance, you know, marker, because if you're able to train harder and maybe for most of the season, you're like eating a lot more than you think you should be, or what the culture is telling you to be, but you're able to handle more training volume, more training intensity, you're going to be so much better off because then you can truly reach your potential. You're not just at this ceiling where once you are at this, like, you know, crazy, you know, weight that you've chosen for yourself randomly, you're not going to be able to get any, any better or faster because you're going to get hurt. You're going to get injured. You're going to mess yourself up metabolically. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a long-winded way of answering that question. <laughs> this is a long-winded question. That's, that's yeah. great. No. And, and I think that's super important. Like, you know, in order and we see in studies, you know, we have better adaptations to stress and that's what training is. It's just stress you right. know, when we consume more calories. So why wouldn't we consume more calories if we want to have better adaptations to stress, AKA fitness gains. Um, and I think you touched on an important point too, like, um, just for where you started the, the hormone component. So if one of the first things that starts to get shut down, whether we're talking about males or females is sex hormone production guess where all of like your energy and power and like athletic performance is coming from, uh, sex hormones. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if those are turned off and then you start to feel bad, that's where it can be super easy. If we're in diet culture to think, Oh, just got to do more and eat less. Um, when in reality it, it's the opposite, we need to eat enough for our body to feel safe enough to make those sex hormones because they're a luxury. Um, you know, reproductive systems are a luxury and so is training really hard which uses a lot of those hormones. Um, and actually a really good point too. So because of the plant-based perspective, like when you are working with athletes, um, you know, from that plant-based perspective, maybe they're wanting to make more of a change there, or you're trying to explain to them exactly how much they have to eat to meet their needs. Um, there's definitely an increased fear right now of carbohydrates. So like, how does that typically go since plant-based foods are pretty carb dense? Yeah, well, I mean, the connection there, right, is that, you know, and it's like, we've known this, it's very well documented in the research that, you know, sex hormones and hormones in general, um, rely really heavily on carbohydrates. And a lot of these symptoms that we see with reds and low energy availability, um, you know, are, you know, kind of stem from having a, not enough carbohydrate av availability. And so I think that connection is really important to educate people on and and that like you know showing them you know some of the research and talking them through like look you know there's a, a like these hormones and the, the menstrual cycle and you know testosterone production rely very heavily on making sure that we have enough fuel in the tank and that fuel is for you know pretty much any type of exercise you know maybe aside from extreme ultra endurance sports, but even then it's, it's, I still don't think it's a very good argument relies so heavily on carbohydrate. And it's just, it's like full stop period fact, indisputable. 
sorry, not sorry. Like if anyone is telling you otherwise run in the complete opposite direction. And, and I can't like preach that enough from my soapbox because it's like, it frustrates the hell out of me still. And so, but yeah, it's really hard because a lot of people do really have that fear still. And there's still so much, you know, kind of misconceptions and myths and like weird things around fasted training and, you know, low carb days and all this stuff. But I think if you're, you know, if we're talking about it in this context uh, of athletes that are on that cusp, and if they're, you know, especially younger athletes that are still growing and developing, it's just like, there's, there's no reason why you shouldn't be consuming a, a lot of carbohydrates and why you should be afraid of them because, um, you know, it, it's just, it's like, I don't know what else to say. I think it's like people, people get really afraid of it. And, and then, yeah, with the plant-based thing, I guess, is it's really hard to be eating a, a fuel, like a well-nourishing, you know, well-balanced plant-based diet and not eat carbohydrates because carbohydrates, you know, whether you're vegan or omnivorous come from plant foods. And so, you know, but I still think that, and I still see it a lot with athletes I work with is like, you know, they, they're maybe shifting towards more plant-based, but they're like, oh, well, I just, I eat a lot of carbs and I know that that's bad. And I just like, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, I think that if you're in that mindset, that's a little bit of a red flag for me of like, okay, maybe we need to look at, you know, what the energy availability is looking like. How's your recovery? How, how are your hard sessions, you know, asking some of those questions, but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, even just speaking from personal experience, like kind of that transition from when I was, you know, in a very bad place with my nutrition and eating, you know, basically trying not to eat any carbs to now, like I eat so many carbs, like it's insane. And, and I just, I, I, people are shocked at how much food I eat, how many potatoes and bowls of cereal and muesli and, you know, uh, fruit and like, just, it's, it, it, it makes for such a richer experience as an athlete, I think. And, um, and that's, yeah, that's definitely a big piece of education that, that is really important for athletes to, to hear. Um, and just, you know, I, I really try to, provide the education and the science in a way that's approachable for the audience. And so I think like, you know, again, carbohydrates are that, you know, high, high octane rocket fuel that you put in the Lamborghini, because it's just like, if you want to be, especially for sports like running or cross country skiing or cycling, these races and these, you know, hard training sessions depend on glycogen on glucose being stored from your muscles and being used to power that high intensity work. And so unless you're just going out for, you know, a speed, like a, you know, kind of a fast walk around your neighborhood and that's as much exercise as you're doing, you know, there's just, there's such an important place for, for carbohydrates. I mean, in all macronutrients for that matter, but particularly emphasizing carbohydrates as that, you know, sort of before, during and after fuel source, because, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, th there's still such a weird cultural misconception around it. There sure is. And I mean, I think too, where we're at right now in, in this day and age where there is a lot of fear around carbohydrates, you know, I think we're, there are more professionals in the same space as, you know, the diet culture kind of mongers 
um, kind of disputing it and trying to say no, like in defense of carbohydrates and trying to provide education on that. And I think some people are like, but what about protein? You know, what about fat? And it's not that those aren't important. Right. They're equally as important. They just do different things than carbohydrates. So, you know, we're not afraid of those things. We're afraid of carbohydrates right now. So focusing on that, um, and helping people understand just how many they need. I think that's really eye-opening for a lot of people that it's in the mid to high hundreds for most endurance athletes um right. times a day you know that can be that can be like whoa <laughs> um you know for a lot of athletes and what they're afraid of you know am i overdoing it if i have two slices of bread on my sandwich instead of one probably not you're probably still underdoing it right. um you know just for most of the conversations i've had but yeah i mean i think too with carbs um a lot of the talk around it is that well i stopped eating carbohydrates and i lost weight um, and in endurance athletes, you know, a lot of the times that I like to explain is that, yeah, a lot of the times that initial weight loss, you know, is your glycogen stores, which is stored carbohydrate, which is so precious, you know, that's what we need to perform well in endurance sports. And the more we fuel with carbohydrates for most people, unless there's a serious medical condition, you know, the better our bodies are going to be and more efficient they're going to be at using them for energy. So it is a practice too. And if it's something you haven't been used to doing, um, you know, it's important to kind of practice and stick with it um, because there is a little bit of a physiological change that comes with carbohydrate oxidation, which is just a fancy way of saying, putting that, you know, gas in the Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I to totally, I mean, a big thing that I work with a lot of athletes on and that I've worked on a lot with myself is I continue to do, I mean, I did, I've, I did a 200 mile gravel race this early this summer. I just did my first ultra marathon two weeks ago. And so I've been dealt like kind of dipping my toes more into that ultra endurance space. And with that comes a lot of emphasis on training the gut, training the body to be able to use carbohydrate more and more effectively, not only just for like performance reasons, but also gastrointestinal reasons. And I see so many athletes that are restrictive of carbohydrates in training, but then they come to the race day or the race weekend or whatever. And then they're like, okay, time to like carb load and smash in all these, you know, pasta and gels and stuff. And then their stomach explodes and they're like, well, carbs are bad. And they, they like, oh, all these like sugary things are like terrible for you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you haven't been exposing your body to them. And so I think that's, you know, something that I work on a lot with athletes, you know, whether they're triathletes or ultra runners, or, you know, even like ski mountaineering athletes that are out there for, you know, five, six, seven hours, you know, in the mountains, you have to train your gut and your gut, just like your muscles are very adaptable and, and able to, to learn how to use those, that, you know, that fuel source effectively. And, you know, there's a lot of cool research out there, notably from, you know, Asker you can drop and, and Louis Burke too, of like the, you know, most badass, legit sports scientists on the planet about how, when you restrict carbohydrates chronically, your body actually down regulates the processes and enzymes that, that actually, you know, are, are like you said, oxidizing those carbohydrates for fuel. And so even if you do restrict carbohydrates a lot and then you come into a, you know a race or a big training camp or something and eat a lot of carbohydrates even if you're eating a lot your body is less efficient at use, utilizing those and we don't want that we want to be able to like have that flexibility of being able to you know just quickly switch on that carbohydrate metabolism 
to be able to make that finishing sprint or charge up that hill or, you know, get through that grueling interval session. And, and I think that's something that we, there's a lot of disconnect still in athletes that like, you know, if you take, you know, interval sessions and, you know, distance workouts and all these hard sessions that you're not fueling effectively over the course of a season, each time you do that, you're basically leaving something on the table. And if you look at that in the big picture, grand scheme, over the course of a season or two seasons or, you know, whatever, even a month, like you're sacrificing a lot of performance gains. And so I always say like err on the side of eating more during training, during exercise, because you're more than likely not than not able to handle more and, you know, push more Watts or whatever you're trying to do in the session. And um, yeah, I think that's a really important point is of training the gut, training the body to be able to use that stuff. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I don't ski, but I can imagine having a GI event on a mountain is a big problem. <laughs> um, so I love that you brought that up because that's, I mean, a practical problem. So right. um, this has been a great conversation. Um, I mean, we we could talk about so many other things related to this topic. It's just a really deep one, but hopefully we've put a little bit more of a spotlight on REDS um, and have continued that conversation. Um, I'm excited to ask you the end of the podcast question, but first, um, you know, where can people find you and where can people, you know, kind of listen to more conversations like these on your podcast? Yeah. So you can check out my podcast called in the flow, wherever you listen to podcasts, I've been less than consistent with uploading episodes lately. I've been traveling a lot and just busy with other work stuff. And so hoping to get back on the wagon soon, but I have a really good library of tons of cool episodes. I think I've done at least one or two episodes on reds at this point. And I would recommend checking out, like I said, the, the, the episode with Kelly McNulty from period of the period. It was a, one of my favorite conversations and just lots of good stuff for female athletes, but I've talked about carbohydrates. I've talked about proteins, a lot of really good resource for, especially for plant-based athletes, but really any endurance athlete. Um, I'm also on Instagram at in the flow nutrition, and you can, you can check out my website in the flow nutrition.com, but, um, yeah, those are kind of the, the main places and, uh, no, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on and, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that's why I love podcasting. It's just like these conversations give me so much energy and it's like crazy how an hour has already flown by. Yeah. And to your credit too, you were like, I have, I've been busy. I haven't been posting podcasts. Well, yeah, you've been busy training for 200 mile gravel races. <laughs> yeah. That's that too. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I've been I mean, doing that. And, and, you know, Hey, like I, you know, I've been coaching, you know, 30 high school kids trying to wrangle them around, you know, different training camps and, and stuff. So it's, you know, I'm in the trenches, you know, and it's like, it's good to be there. And, and, but I, I definitely miss like the education piece on the, on the grander scale. So yeah. Oh yeah. That's definitely a task within itself. Um, well, excellent. And I'm excited to ask you this question. So end of the podcast question, super lighthearted, but you're approaching the finish line of that, like most perfect race. Maybe it was the ultra marathon or the 200 mile gravel race, but point is you had the best race ever. So like what song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you're feeling? Yeah, that's a hard one. I, there's so many great so, so many great pump up jams. Uh, I, I want like uh, my, my heart says some super like poppy jam from like Taylor Swift or like, I don't know, Ariana Grande or something just like super, you know, positive and happy. But 
my mind says anything really by Tame Impala. I'm a huge Tame Impala fan. And so like something like Let It Happen or The Moment by Tame Impala kind of comes to mind. Just like, I think, you know, I don't know if you know Tame Impala, but they're like very sort of like psychedelic rock, electronic blend. And I feel like at the end of, you know, a really good race, especially if you've given it your all, you're sort of in this weird psychedelic, like, you know, strange euphoric mix of like emotions and deep suffering and like on the verge of hypoglycemia. And that's just like what Tame Impala reminds me of sometimes. So um, yeah, go check out those ones. I have not heard of that, but I, I, I see what you mean. So I'm excited to listen. My, my last guest, I believe too, he was like, I want to say Timber by Kesha, but I'm going to say <laughs> Free Fontaine, something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope people go check out your podcast. It's, it's awesome. And there's a lot more conversations about these types of topics and we can continue spreading awareness. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. Jackson, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. I really appreciated your support and helping spread more awareness about this topic because it can't be talked about enough. Um, and I know I talk about it until I'm blue in the face <laughs> on my podcast and on all my social media feeds and with my clients as well, if any of you are listening. But it, there's so many messages out there. And I think a lot of us need to hear you know, the message of it's okay to eat a lot of food and it's going to do you good as an athlete. And sometimes resting and taking a break is what we need to get stronger. And I mean, we're kind of status post 2020 Olympics right now. There's so many good examples of this in elite athletes right now, um, you know, setting a good example of this topic. So it was really great to just talk about it more with someone else who's passionate about the topic today as well. If you guys are looking for more support with your nutrition, with your fueling, with getting strong, preventing injuries, walking through a better mindset or relationship with food and body image, I would love to support you. I currently am um, taking people on my wait list for my next round of the Strong Runner Academy, which will kick off later this fall. So if you are interested in learning more about that group coaching program, please visit the link in the show notes or head over to fitcookienutrition.com to add yourself to my waitlist so that I can be reaching out to you in the next few weeks here to set up a free discovery call so that you can learn more about the program and we can see if it's a good fit for you. But if you got a lot from today's conversation, I have a feeling the program will be a good fit for you. Um, and I really hope to hear from you guys on that. If you are enjoying the show, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player as it helps folks like you find the podcast and kind of tune into more conversations like these. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope everyone, you know, is getting the message to go fuel their bodies today and rest if they need to so that they can keep pushing hard in training. And until next time, happy running.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.